All right, troops, strong and conditioned here. And tonight we have got an excellent episode with the one and only, my good friend and co-author, Max, the busy dad, Edwards. How are you tonight, Max? I'm brilliant, thanks, Lee. I'm all the better for seeing your seeing your fair features. <laughs> ditto, mate. Ditto. It's, uh, obviously, it's becoming a bit of a transatlantic love affair. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what your wife will say about that, but <laughs> needs must. So anyway, tonight we're going to talk about training, we're going to talk about puppies, and we're going to focus exclusively on the busy dad training system, how Max evolved the training system, how he decided to create the training system, and where he plans to take it from this point on, and anything else that comes to mind, I'm sure Max will share his encyclopedia-like knowledge of the, the the exercise that brought us together. So as we begin, Max, can you introduce yourself and can you give us an introduction to where you came to meet myself and where you're at right now? Absolutely. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me, Lee. Um, my name is Max Edwards and I have a YouTube channel called Busy Dad Training. Um, and what that channel does is it um, it puts out this program that I created uh, that centers around burpee training called the Busy Dad Program. Um, I'm sure that's something we can get into um, a bit later. But um, when I'm not being a burpee practitioner, I'm I'm a husband, I'm a father. I'm also um, I'm trying to become a scholar. So I, I spend my time here at the University of California in San Diego, um, just finishing a PhD dissertation in philosophy. Um, you can probably hear from my accent, I'm not a Californian um, natively. I came here from London, England, um, and I won't be here much longer. My family is moving to um, from the southwest of America to the northeast all the way to New Hampshire. Um, but I'm hoping that my burpee practice will sustain me through the um, through the blizzard winters there. Um, and uh, and yeah, I'm really um, I'm really somebody who swears by and evangelizes about burpee training because it's absolutely changed my life and I, and I think that it's changed many others um, who have followed the Busy Dad program. Okay, so so how did you end up in California, Max? Yeah, it's a long story. Um, I was, I was um, in my early 20s, um, well mid-20s, deep into a PhD project in London at UCL, University College London. Um, and during that time, I um, I managed to speak at a conference in, in Romania. And one of the professors at that conference was an American. And he persuaded me that given the academic job market, um, it would make a lot of sense for me, instead of trying to go straight out of my London-based PhD into a professorship, because they were just so hard to come by, he said, come to America because the PhDs here are really well-funded. Um, you'll have a very comfortable life and you'll get way more time to build up your research portfolio before you go on the market. And at that time in my life, um, I didn't have much holding me, holding me back, keeping me in Europe. So I thought, whatever, I'll give it a try. Um, and I applied to a couple of places. University of California, San Diego was really an afterthought. Um, in the event, it was the only place that took me. Uh, and so they put me on an aeroplane to fly out and, and check out the place. Um, and on that first weekend, I fell in love with San Diego and also with a specific woman who later became my wife. Um, and that's, that's how I ended up here. So, so how long were you in California, like before you met your wife? Were you there a couple of weeks, or months, or was it? No, up? no, no. I so I was in. I'm not sure if she'd appreciate me sharing the story, but <laughs> uh, I'm an overshare. I was in uh, California about 12 hours before I met my wife. Really? Yeah, she was. Um, she was herself a member of the department, uh, another graduate student, a couple of years ahead of me, um, and she was appointed as my tour guide. Um, and the busy dad, he wasn't yet a dad. Um, wasn't really very busy either um just instantly fell head over heels for this person um and then i i began a, a seduction campaign that took me about <laughs> six months but um i won around eventually you're such a dandy character like it's, it's, it's something i never really thought of you of but now that you're explaining your story i can start to see a different side to you so so was the process of becoming a student in America, was it a difficult one or was it quite a, a straight, straightforward process? You know, it was surprisingly straightforward, given what a massive life upheaval it, it entailed, you know, moving across the world. Um, the application process was pretty straightforward. I sent them a sample of my work. 
I wrote a kind of manifesto about what I wanted to do within the PhD project. Uh, you have to take an exam, which I took very hungover at a, um, a, a place in Berlin. Um, didn't do particularly well on it, but they, they didn't seem to mind. Um, the process of application is pretty straightforward. Um, I think winning a spot is, is very much a matter of um, luck. Uh, it's really, really competitive to, to, to win a spot. Um, but getting the application out there is pretty straightforward. So for me, it was a crapshoot. I, I was, I was, I was, you know, well situated in a PhD program in England, and it was really an afterthought. I just thought this professor in Romania has suggested I try it. Why not give it a shot? See what happens. So I really didn't put very much time or effort into the application, and just by good fortune, um, I happened to meet one of the professors who was on the selection committee um, about a month before they started reading through the applications, and she thought that my work was really good. Um, I made an impression on her at this conference, um, and it went from there. So it, it's um, the, act, the process itself is straightforward, but winning a spot is really tough. So how did you find the transition from staying in London and then staying in California? Did you ever get, did you ever get homesick for London or England? I miss my family. Um, but if you took my family and put them in California, I don't think I'd think about England much. For, I miss my friends too. It, it, it wasn't really England specifically that I missed. It was um, the people who I'd come to love in England. Um, for me, um, this place is just heaven on earth. It's there's sunshine 300 days a year, and and the Californians never comment on it, but I I never stop commenting on it. I you know if you grow up in in England or Scotland, and you get to a place like this, you never stop being grateful for this weather. Uh, people yeah. say, oh, you'll miss the seasons. Um, Seven years in, I've not really thought about the seasons much. I just like getting that vitamin D, getting the sunshine on my face every morning. Um, yeah. So, so what is it you, not family or anything like the obvious stuff, but what is it you miss about England? What's the things that you... Okay, there are some specific things, actually. When I took my daughter there for the first time, um, I showed her a lot of oak trees. You don't get oak trees over here like the oak trees in England. <laughs> um, I really love. I really love the British countryside. I mean, I think the Scottish Highlands are the are the most beautiful place in the world. But even um, southern England, where I'm from, Sussex. I spent a lot of time on the coast of Sussex. I think the natural landscape in England is is second to none. Um, so I miss that a great deal. Um, I miss pubs. I I stopped drinking um, five five coming up six years ago, but I still love pubs. Um, you don't get pubs over here, and that's a you know there's something very edifying about being in a pub, having a conversation with a friend. I miss that. Yeah, you don't get that pub culture in California, I assume. Yeah, there's a drinking culture here, but it, it feels a little bit kind of sordid. People really, when you're at a pub in England, you, you don't feel a sh kind of any background sense of shame that you're at the pub. It's, it's part of the social fabric. And you might be having a conversation with a good friend and it's, it's a legitimate way of spending your time. Whereas you get the sense over here that there's always something a bit guilt-ridden about, <laughs> about drinking. And so when people do drink in bars, it, it's quite, there's a, you know, happy hours with $1 drinks and stuff. And people are, I always find that there's something decadent. There's, there's, it doesn't feel wholesome, the drinking culture over here. People drink less, but when they drink, it, it feels different. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I really miss that, that sitting in a pub with a friend and talking for the whole night and just having a few pints or a few drinks and just enjoying each other's conversation. Um, you don't get that so much out here, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I thought you were going to say something like digestive biscuits. So. Digestive biscuits, digestive biscuits are here on the list. Oak trees and pubs. Uh, only fools and horses or something like that. <laughs> Obviously, you go for the more cultural approach, match, Max, which we expect from you, which is uh, oak trees. So that was quite a, a novel answer. So, when you initially went to California, mm. were you training in any shape or form? Great question. I was, um, and it was pretty new to me at that time. I, I visited California at 26 years old, I believe, and at 25, I really discovered training for the first time in my adult life. I, I, I'd been someone who, I, I found training as a teenager. It was this kind of almost secretive thing that I would do in my bedroom at home. Lots of press-ups, lots of pull-ups. Um, but I dropped it. Um, I was really, really overweight and out of shape at 25 years old. And my personal life was in a bit of a crisis. Um, and at that time, 
Um, this is something we talk about in the book where we tell our stories. You know, my brother, my younger brother, um, really saved me um, from a kind of, yeah, personal crisis. And, and he said, look, man, I'm getting you to the gym every morning. There was a, a high intensity interval training class that took place every morning at seven. And uh, for six months straight from, this, from January through June 2014, I went there every morning, dropped a lot of weight. And in the process, I, I found training. I found real redemption through training. Um, and so I was pretty fanatical about training. Um, this is now a year and a half since I discovered it when I went out to California. Yeah. Um, I was doing a lot of weightlifting at that point. But it's kind of bodybuilder style training. It wasn't very focused. Um, and I also had a kind of back and forth relationship with it. I trained twice a day for two months. And then I just drink hard and not really train at all for six weeks. I was always going back and forth. I'd kind of train until I had a six pack. Drink until the six pack had completely disappeared, then start training again, then start drinking again. And so I, I didn't have the same relationship with training that I have now, but I was very fanatical about training. Yeah, would would you say like your training was almost reflective of your drinking issues at the time? I think it was part of a system with the with the drinking. I mean, in the end, training was part of what saved me from drinking. But at that time, um, I think it was. Before I went to California, um, I was newly single out of a relationship and it was, um, you know, training was mainly mainly about, you know, uh, building up six pack and some good looking biceps so I could hit the single scene and try and, <laughs> you know, yeah, it was part of the dandy identity. Yeah. Uh, it's not to say that when I was in the gym, it wasn't doing for, doing things for me at a deeper level. Yeah, um, but it was yeah, it was keyed into that superficial lifestyle. For sure. Yeah, are, are you one of these guys, Max? That when you find something, you go all in. I suspect that if you ask people who are close to me, they would say that I am. Yeah, one of those guys. Yeah, because it, it, it kind of makes sense in some respects that it's like as soon as some guy says that you should probably go to America, you go straight to America. Yeah. You know, yeah, you, you meet your wife within 12 hours and next thing you know, you're married. And... Yeah, I'm good at making bold decisions. Yeah. But where I think I differ from some people who have that tendency is I'm also good at honouring those bold decisions and standing yeah. by them. You know, I, there are people who will do something really bold and then regret it or think twice about it the next day. That's not me. Like, you know, when I decide to become a burger practitioner, that's for life. When I decide to marry this person, that's for life. Coming to America, that's for life. So... I do make decisions quickly, but then I, I honour them. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, it absolutely makes sense. And it's a trait that I think is admirable. I'm always in awe of people who go all in because I'm not a believer of doing things half-heartedly. Like, to use an analogy, I use you don't dip your toe in the bath. If you do, you're going to take ages to get in the bath. And by the time you get in, it's going to be cold and unenjoyable. You just should jump in the bath and absorb the pain for a couple of minutes and then you have a nice hot bath, which is very, apologies, which is very enjoyable. Uh, so, what, 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 what was it you were doing in the, H, in the high intensity classes? I think it was, I mean, for me, it was, um, I was new to training. So this concept, you know, hit with two eyes was kind of new to me. But I think also it was just kind of coming on the scene. Um, and so it was all, all the kind of usual suspects, um, box jumps, mountain climbers, press ups, burpees, um, lunges, all, the, all your kind of usual suspect um, body weight movements with also some of the TRX ropes and a little bit of the fancy gizmos as well. Um, and I mean, I, 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 you know, those classes were really funny. It was um, it was the receptionist at the gym who ran them. She was a very um, sweet kind of diminutive timid young girl who was really a receptionist but they let her run this one class and she had um she had a really kind of faint voice and she'd always say keep going guys you're smashing it but she authored these absolutely brutal workouts and there'd just be a, be a room of grown men just dying um with this this tiny little little lady just um just in her soft quiet voice just killing us and so they're really hard, and especially for me. I mean, when I started, you've got to understand, I was um, about 110 kilograms. Yeah. Um, and I could do maybe four push-ups. 
Yeah. And I was, and, and so I was vomit level in, exhausted in every single yeah. one of those classes. Um, see, see the woman who took the classes, did she take part in them as well? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Far from it. Yeah, I tend to find that people that, that, that like take the hardest classes in fitness never do them themselves. So it's almost a, like they're living vicariously through the class. Yeah. You guys suffer and are probably trying to get a laugh at your expense as well. Well, I'm sure we gave her plenty of laughs. Especially so if you were doing boppies in this class, I'm assuming it was the, 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 the like CrossFit style, the yeah, yeah. sloppy. You know what? I think that um, in my mind, I was always doing burpees a bit wrong because my burpees never looked like that kind of sprawly, lurchy thing that CrossFitters do. I was always thinking of burpee as just a push-up with a jump. Yeah. Um, so I think I was performing them fairly well. And, you know, what's interesting, I look back, I really gravitated to burpees immediately. Um, they, I, I thought they were called burpees because they made you burp and retch. And that's what they did to me. And I thought, and, you know, this is something that I, I would recommend as a general training um, mentality. I thought... I hate burpees more than anything else. Therefore, I will do burpees more than anything else um, until I can domesticate them. Later, I did that with squatting as well. Make it your best friend. Make your enemy your best friend. And so I, I even in that early phase of doing hit training for the first time, I gravitated to burpees. I, I had this thing of trying to do 50 in a row, which was like this massive thing for me. I built up adding an extra one every day each morning before we went to the hit class. Um, so, yeah, burpees were a part of it and, and instantly something I gravitated to just so hard yeah so so what happened with the training in america i know you you, you you took a deep dive into the world of powerlifting yeah yeah i i got out to america and um i i think a lot of people do bodybuilding style training for a while and they get this they get a bit bored of it after a while and they get this lurking feeling like i'm not actually strong or capable or conditioned right yeah. I can just do bicep curls. It takes ages, and it's, it's kind of boring. Um, and so I started to really crave some more kind of functional way of training. And so for me, it started as um, I got really into this guy, Ido Portal. I don't know if you know him. He's like a yeah, really amazing yeah. guy. He really bowled me over, and he just said, you know, um, you want to be doing gymnastics. You want to be doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You want to be doing stretching. You want to be doing acrobatics. And so I, I took on that approach first. Um, there are these, this is like a, a heaven on earth physical culture, this university. There are free classes for every discipline you could imagine. It's amazing. And so I, I, I really took advantage of that. I started gymnastics classes. I started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu classes. I got really obsessed about them. Um, problem was I kept injuring myself, um, especially in BJJ. It's just, it's really hard not to get pick up injuries. And I was picking up all, all the time I was, I was rolling too hard. Um, I thought it was quite tense in my form. And I just got this recurrent issue with my neck and stuff. So I put down the more exploratory physical culture. And I thought, okay, is there a way of taking that? I want to become strong and capable rather than just look a certain way. Yeah. Um, taking that ethos, but returning to weightlifting with that in mind. And that's how I discovered this idea of powerlifting. Yeah, yeah. So, so, like, what was the, the, how did you build your base with powerlifting? What was the, the, the system that you used to get to, like, the higher numbers? Yeah. Um, well, one thing is, because I've done so much bloody upper body work in my bodybuilding time, the upper body base was already pretty solid. Um, my shoulders were never that strong, but my pecs, just for whatever reason, I could rep out seven or eight reps on 100 kilograms with the bench, just going in. That was the staple of my bodybuilding workouts. So the base for the upper body was already there. And in fact, I would say that I actually never really built that much upper body strength as a powerlifter. Um, my bench numbers were pretty static, but the lower body really wasn't there. Um, and so I did a lot of research. I did the deep dive. Um, for me, the big figure was Chad Wellesley Smith. Um, he is the head of Juggernaut. Um, yeah. And he, I, I watched all of his videos on the scientific principles of strength training. Um, he was trying to give you the, the, the knowledge base to create your own program rather than, you know, just using a template. And so I did. I created a program that had me um, squatting and deadlifting twice a week. Um, and it had me um, doing upper body work three times a week. 
I was trying to use these, I had this theory of the, he, he gives you this concept of the SRA curve. I don't know if you're familiar with this, um, the stimulus recovery adaptation curve. All right. Is that like stimulus to fatigue ratio? Uh, I, the way I, the way he explained it to me is if you have um, um, on the on the horizontal axis is is time, and then on the vertical axis is um, like amount of stimulus. The idea is at a certain point in time you stimulate your body with a certain amount of training volume, and as you move into like say the next two days after that um, initial stimulus the line goes down what that means is during that time when you're recovering this is the r part of the curve your capacity in terms of what stimulus you can handle is diminished it's compromised that's the recovery period like you're i, I guess so you, when you're fatigued you can't lift as much right the, yeah. the day after training but there comes there's a point when the curve goes back to where it was and then goes higher there's a point there's a, like a privileged time window where as a result of the initial stimulus, you could now handle a greater stimulus. And that's the adaptation part of the curve. And that peaks. And the idea is you want to time your next session for when you're at the peak of the SRA curve at the A part, um, because you'll be able to handle more. And he was using sports science to argue that for most beginners, the heavier, the, the stronger you get, the longer it takes to fully adapt. But for most beginners, two days out of a bench press session, you're at the peak of the SR, at the A part of the curve. And it's more like three days out of a benching or a squatting session. So I time my workouts to be three days between squatting and um, squatting sessions, three days between deadlifting sessions, yeah. two days between. And I, I stacked it all up and had spreadsheets and stuff and came up with a program. And it was it was pretty good. And it, it, I definitely made progress. Um, yeah. But then I got I kind of got a coach as well. Um, well, he was a friend. But he also, he had a coach and he used his coach to help coach me. He took me mm -hmm. on the swing. We did a 10-week block together, much more systematic. Um, and I really made the, the gains there. Yeah. So, like, going by what you've told me there, it kind of makes sense that you would uh, thrive with a training concept like that. Because it's there's a degree of science involved and there's a level of deep thinking mm -hmm. in terms of application. Whereas me personally, I'm the complete opposite. I, I find that that would be too overcomplicated and would extract the fun mm. out of training. So yeah. it makes sense why you would find that, like, because it almost ties in with the way you approach puppies to a certain degree, where it's it's very number heavy. Mm -hmm. It's like it's, it's it's you've you've calculated meticulously. How many puppies you should do every minute in order to be a target? Yeah, yeah. So I'm starting to see the links in that respect. Yeah, one thing I'll say is, um, people who go too heavy on sort of bro science and technical concepts um, can get on my nerves. And what I think is, like, I've got a very good friend back home, and I, I love him dearly, but he can always talk the talk about. SRA curves and the rest of it, but he doesn't work hard in the gym and he doesn't train regularly. And so fun, yeah, they're fun. I'm not so much about fun, but like hard work, coming yeah. face to face with hard work. That's always been a crucial part of training for me. And so I like the conceptual analysis. I like the strategy, but there's no substitute for hard work. Yeah. And, and if that stuff gets in the way of hard work, then it's bullshit. Then you need yeah. to- yeah, I know. I, I agree. I think it's, there's a, like a group of people who do like to talk about training, they like to discuss yeah, yeah. The, the final merits of training, but the actual training itself is an afterthought. They don't train hard. They would rather sit and argue about training on internet forums and YouTube comments. Absolutely. Like you'll get these guys that come onto your videos and they'll, 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 they'll criticise your forum. Mm -hmm. And they're just acting like gatekeepers in some respect, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they're not showing themselves the work that is involved and the application that's actually needed. Everything else is just theory to a certain degree. Exactly. I really think that uh, with this, well, with what we do, you earn the right to make prescriptions and recommendations through your practice, not through your theory. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And so um, I... I, I, just as you said, for some people, the training is the afterthought and the theory is what comes first. We need to flip that. Use the theory insofar as it helps, but 
the training is what is, is central that experience of hard work that's what really elevates you and that's that's what it's all about um yeah. and that's why i really loved it when you spoke with um um is it evermas yeah um because that seemed to be a big part of his routine or, or his message you know um I was illiterate in training concepts. I didn't have the scientific background. And that helped me because it just meant I would just go in and work really hard and do dumb stuff according yeah. to the theory. But it wasn't dumb. It was, you know, giving him that experience of hard work. Yeah, I know he's anything, but he's a very deep thinker himself. Yeah. And he sees things a certain way, which is very refreshing because it's very, it's, it's like I said to him, I've asked before, it was almost Vulcan-like. It was stripped of emotion. It was just complete logic. But I, he made a good point as well, which kind of ties in with this, which was the best bodybuilders aren't the fizziest bottles of pop in the fridge. Mm. They just train hard. They don't think about anything. They just went to the gym and just bang out reps. They, they put more weight in the bar and they get a lot of success doing so instead of thinking how much volume should I yep. complete this week how many sets so i can have the maximum recoverable volume yeah and it's just these concepts that start to take your eye off the ball so to yeah. speak yeah but it but we we, we also want to be aware beware of a false dichotomy saying you're either a theorist who can't train properly or you're a good practitioner and you don't care about theory um yeah if, if for example if you read the the books of david goggins um like what is striking is how well thought through his training is. It's brutal. He pushes himself to levels that most people couldn't dream of, but it's also systematic. And so he, he, for example, is someone who shows us that, you know, you can do both. You don't have to choose between these two things. Yeah. The, the vibe I get off guys like David Goggins though is, is they go so far to the extremes that it's almost to help you elevate your game to a certain degree. You'll never be like David Goggins, but by the very virtue of trying to be like David Goggins, you're going to raise your game anyway past the point that you would have been capable of Absolutely. if you hadn't have ever heard of. It, it's actually, it's like some, it was always a mindset I had myself when I would deliver a fitness class. I was always known for delivering very brutal fitness classes. And the theory behind that for me was if it's a really hard fitness class, then people are just going to naturally train hard yeah. and try and keep up. So it's always going to extract a performance instead of having like an easy class where you've got lots of regressions and you're taking care of everybody individually. It's like, no, just train hard because even the guy who comes in who's not that fit is going to raise their game. They might not be able to sustain the, the intensity, but they're going to give it a, a, a... They're going to put more effort in just yeah. by the fact that the class is hard. And I get that kind of vibe from David Goggins. It's like, I'm doing something. I'm running 200 miles in 20 minutes. Yeah. So, like, I'm going to try and inspire you to do that. You're not yeah. going to do it, but you're going to try. And just by doing that, you're going to train a lot harder than you would have. Absolutely. When I read his books and he's doing things that I know I'm not going to do, I didn't think, oh, well, I should just give up training. Yeah. Um, no, it's the opposite. I just thought, how can I be more in my daily life? What are the tiny things I can do where David Goggins would give me a, a nod? Yeah. Um, you know, and so everyone can, can be inspired in that, you know, they can implement that in their own life. It's a little bit like, um, you know, in a religious context, um, the role of saints. Like, no one thinks they can be a saint, but it's important to think about what saints do because that can inspire you to be a bit more saint-like. And I think, you know, David Goggins is a saint, um, if not a god, of, of training. And he's someone, and in the same way, if we internalise his example, he can yeah. transform our lives and inspire us. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so what was the transition from powerlifting? What happened? Like, why did you stop powerlifting? Yeah. Well, yeah. Explain that moment. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, that vacuum. I mean, it was a, a, a double tornado that hit. Um, <laughs> so two things happened at exactly the same time. My daughter was born on March 14th, 2020. And we went into the hospital on March 13th. We came out on March 15th. And when we went in, um, there were cars on the road. And when we left, we walked into a ghost town of covid outside the hospital there were people in white coats there's a big um kind of tent um 
and no cars on the road. The, the hospital where she was born, there's a view of, over the highway and it was empty. We were looking out with this tiny baby looking at this empty highway. And so we walked into parenthood and COVID on the same day. Yeah. Um, you know, um, the gyms were all closed and I had this tiny baby to care for. And so there was just training, powerlifting was out. And it wasn't just that the gyms were closed. Um, when I was lifting, um, it, it really absorbed all of my energy. I was sleep I had to sleep for nine hours a night. I was eating four, five thousand calories a day and still always hungry. I was lumbering around between sessions, always exhausted, always sore. Um, I wasn't dynamic and energetic. It was slowing me down. And and that's true of the powerlifters I know, man. They I, I see them getting off the bus and they just heaving <laughs> their bulk from one place to another. And you know, I I just I knew that my daughter was going to, she was going to require a vital father, an active, happy, vigorous, alive father. And so I knew powerlifting was out at that point. And, and it's funny because I, until I laid eyes on her, I was so attached to powerlifting and I was really anxious. Oh, are you going to lift when your daughter's born? I was like, oh, maybe I can do like four 30-minute sessions a week. I was consulting with my old coach about... <laughs> And then I saw her and I thought, it's gone, it's done, goodbye. And, 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 and powerlifting, 30 minutes is like rest between sets. It's a warm-up, exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to I used to rest um, sometimes 15 minutes between, between yeah. singles with the squats. Yeah, I used to see guys, and like this isn't a slight of the powerlifting community, right, but I'm just going to give my observations. But when I worked in gyms, I would see guys, I would, see, I would literally see guys bring a chair up to the squat rack, and they and the mo the majority of them were really out of shape. But yeah, they were just like kind of neck beard guys that had got a copy of starting strength, and they were probably playing Pokemon Go between sets. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because I got the vibe they wanted to separate themselves from the bodybuilding crew, which is yeah. like more aesthetic. It's quite yeah. Just I don't want to say masculine, but it's got that kind of very blokish vibe to it. Blokish. Yeah. These guys want to set themselves apart, but it's like, well, well I'm a strength athlete. I'm a strength yeah, yeah, yeah. athlete. That's, that's superior because we have to think about our training more methodically. And you would see them and they would be completely out of shape. They would be on the squat rack. They would do a set of squats and they would sit in their chair. And I would look at them and I would go, this just, this, this is not the way it should be. Like, you're, you're going up and doing a squat and you've got no conditioning you, you look like absolute shit <laughs> and you're just you, you don't know what training really is i mean a squat is just a fleeting moment yeah i i want to give it its due i i will say that um when i i think i maxed out at 170 kilograms with my squat and i'm annoyed because i know if i tried 175 that day i would have got it um, you've got to be very careful with the max outs, but it was it was quite close to orgasmic. Um, getting that bar up, it, you feel like a phoenix rising out of the ashes. You feel like every fiber of your being. Yeah. And 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 and, and as I got it up, and of course, like I was playing into all the stereotypes you can imagine, this kind of unearthly, just raw, <laughs> emerged from from my body. Um, and I got it up and. Uh, you know, it, powerlifting is all about these one-off peaks of experience you build up to. And that whole 15 minutes, like some of them were sitting on Pokemon Go. I was sitting in the corner doing that, <laughs> breathing, looking like a complete maniac. Um, <laughs> hood up. Um, and, and, and I found that that rest period was very intensive physically, uh, mentally. Um, yeah. I think a lot of the mental strength that I've got as a birth practitioner came from those 15 minutes building up to that one set. Um, and so I think... There is a lot I admire in it, but I agree that we look ridiculous. Um, and and yeah, like most, you know, there's this there's this idea, weight moves weight. So you want to just build as much, just bulk, yeah. constantly bulking as part. Yeah, <laughs> perma bulking. <laughs> so, so where are you bulking during the the, the powerlifting phase? Oh, heavy man! I, I was bulking, and my my wife was pregnant. So between us, we were clearing, you know, un unbelievable amounts of food. Yeah. Yeah. What was your bulking strategy? Um, I consulted with my weightlifter coach Lars, and it, it's so funny if you compare bodybuilding and powerlifting, how methodical bodybuilders are about diet. 
Um, and then how they're training is a little bit, yeah, whatever. Whereas, you know, it's vice versa. The, the powerlifters are so methodical about training. When it comes to eating, they're like, just eat forever. Um, so I just ate at all times. I, I just, I, I would, and I would deliberately pass fullness. Um, I, I would try and eat, um, you know, standardly like a, a cheesecake when I got home and then a burrito and then maybe a second dinner. Um, and yeah, I just, I pretty, I went pretty insane on it. And, and it's funny, I love eating and I, I really never thought this would happen first six yeah. weeks or something, I was like, this is great. And at a certain point, it's such a, it's horrible. Yeah. yeah. I, sometimes when I think about it, though, right, like, I, like that bulk to me sounds crazy. And, and the reason I say that is because I'm in the process of mm. trying to add weight myself and, I, and I'm being very methodical about yeah. it. I'm, like, yeah. I'm trying to get like a 100, 200 calorie surplus because I bulked before in the same style that you've just mentioned and what i tend to find is, is you just get fat yeah i think that the, the the more calories you consume the 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 fat gain mm. uh, increases Massive. exponentially while the muscle gain almost re remains the same totally so you're like it's almost like you're putting your health mm. at risk to a certain degree to move a few extra kilogram of weight yeah it, yeah, it's just something in my head that doesn't I mean I don't get me wrong right? I understand why people power lifted they want to get the numbers and that's all that matters and I, I respect that but I'm just looking at it through the eye the lens of health yeah. and longevity and being a dad in totally. that respect when you talk about vitality and it's mm -hmm. almost as if you're like just doing this thing to do something which ultimately doesn't mean much which is just move an extra couple of kilograms a few inches yeah I hear you. I, I want to say two things. One, um, you know, I think I'm probably slightly uh, slightly mischaracterizing the powerlifting community when it comes to nutrition. Um, I'm sure that the elite powerlifters yeah, yeah. very hard about their nutrition. And obviously there are ways of doing it where you're taking a more methodical approach like you are. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing to say is, um, you know, does it mean much to be able to add five kilograms to your squat over the course of a 12-week cycle. Um, depends. I mean, from the outside, you might say that doesn't sound very meaningful, but you could say that about pretty much every goal that any person yeah. themselves. Well, it obviously means something if you're competing. The real, like, I would just go to the gym and do bodybuilding for an hour or two a day. But the satisfaction I felt when I hit that 170 squat, having gone into the cycle yeah. at 145, that was real. Um, I don't give a shit that I wasn't competing against anyone else. I was competing against myself. And the yeah. sense that I'm now doing something that I thought was beyond me, that's yeah. a priceless feeling. Um, yeah, okay. Right, so let me throw this curveball in, right? So how like, how did you look when you were at the peak of that bulk physically? Yeah. Well, how was your physique? Because you're known for your physique through mm -hmm. puppies, Max. Let's, yeah. not just, let's not pretend. It's something that people comment on a lot. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, what was your physique like when you were at the peak of that body bulk, at that powerlifting bulk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm preparing a video on this. Um, my 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 good friend who designed the website, he's going to help me um, incorporate some photos and make a slightly more pro-looking video to kind of advertise the physique benefits of burpees. Because the answer is nothing like the way it looks. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I was I was um, I think about eighty six kilograms. Um, so and now I'm about 76. So it's considered. What height are you, Max? 5'11. Okay. Um, and I was just slabs. I was a um, good, 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 nice, juicy pair of love handles, slabby pecs, slabby shoulders. Um, you couldn't really see the biceps. You, you could just see that the arms were fairly big. Um, and then I've always had kind of chicken legs, but uh, they were a bit heavier than they are now. Um, and my ass kind of protruded quite a bit. <laughs> you know, I look back on it and I, I, I really wonder how my wife dealt with it because um, <laughs> all I was doing was training. Yeah. And the result of my training was that I was just looking increasingly disfigured. Yeah. Um, but she's also um, really not superficial in that respect. In fact, my wife gives me zero credit for having the physique I do now. Yeah, um, yeah. I think, yeah. I think we'll like it when you're a bit more fluffy. Yeah, a bit more cuddly, exactly. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the physique was, I mean, completely different. I've yeah, had this physique yeah. before. I had yeah. it when I was an 18-year-old, when I was doing all of that pull-ups and press-ups and stuff in my bedroom. Um, but I, the, 
it's, it's only ever bodyweight training that's gotten me this kind of uh, lean, lean muscular physique. Right. Okay. So how did it feel when you started to reveal those diamond hard abs, Max? Yeah. How did that feel in relation to getting those high numbers in powerlifting? I think, look, I probably enjoyed looking in the mirror a bit more than that. <laughs> um, but I really think that a big part of why I was so kind of proud of the way my body looked was it looked alive. It looked capable. It didn't look yeah. sluggish. You know, and, and I connected that with fatherhood. I connected that with I just felt so much more vital and alive through my training. And, yeah. the, and, and the physique was a kind of manifestation of that. So yeah. I liked it just for the pure aesthetics of it. But I, I think at a deeper level, I liked it because of what it showed me about the man I was becoming. Uh, for me, like for me, the, the excitement of burpee training and the excitement of fatherhood, they're completely interlinked. Yeah. Um, I'm so happy that my program is called the Busy Dad Program, because for me, becoming a burpee practitioner it happened when i became a father and so they're, they're completely interleaved for me yeah do you know like i don't want you to take this the wrong way max because it may sound offensive but i mean it from a good place because I, I i i know exactly this is something i feel quite personal to myself but me and you we're not conventional fitness guys in the sense of how we look all right. We're not like kind of young guys with a head full of hair mm -hmm. that are oiled up, that are on social media flexing hard. We look like dads. Okay. Yes. We look like dads that are quite that are starting to get on a bit, okay? Yeah. And I think that's what takes people aback with yourself. And I, I was reading through the comments in your Navy SEAL tutorial video. I'll, whenever I need a laugh, I always read the comments and that because some of them I'm actually rolling like my eyes, but at the same time I'm I'm almost pissing myself laughing. <laughs> but I think what sucks people in is they see the start of the video yeah. and they see you and you're balding and they're like, what the fuck is this guy? What is going on here? And then they see the arms and they see the physique and it, it, it's like, it's a complete, it's like a, a distortion of yeah. what they believe to be the case. Yeah. And I think that's what like draws people in with you in that respect, the physique, the vitality, because... Like, <laughs> from the neck up, do you know what I mean? People aren't going to have you down as a fitness model, but then they see the physique. Yeah, it's a dad head, but it's not <laughs> a dad boy. The, the best comment I've seen was the jacked, pu uh, jacked Putin. Yeah, you know what's disturbing <laughs> is, um, it's not, that wasn't an isolated occurrence. Um, <laughs> I've, I'm compared to a lot of people. Um, <laughs> And uh, some of them are very flattering, like Christian Bale. <laughs> some of them are middling, like Gordon Ramsay. Um, I mean, I'll take it at a push. But um, the most common comparison is Putin. I reckon I've had it 15 times. Yes. So, you know, I, I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> oh, embrace it, mate. Embrace it. Yeah, right, right. So we're going, off, we're going off the path here, right, Max? Right. So. Let's move on. Let's move on to the the, the burpees now, right? Because that's why people like watch us. It's the burpees. That's where we yeah. get our bread and butter from. Yeah. So talk us through your introduction to burpees. Yeah. So, um, as I was explaining to you, I had this kind of this um, eureka moment when I realised I'm done with powerlifting, um, and that came very early when my daughter was born. Um, and so, can you give me two seconds, Matt? Dogs turn the TV on all of a sudden. <laughs> Apologies, my dogs getting the remote control. This is this is the the beauty of this little approach to making a podcast. No, no. So so um. So, and then I thought, okay, well, maybe having a dad bod is part of being a dad. And to be honest, I pretty much had a dad bod anyway because of the powerlifting. Um. I thought maybe I'll just, I don't know, I'll start training again like when my daughter's at school in five years or something. So initially I was, I was really seriously contemplating letting go of training entirely. And about three days in it became clear, that's not going to work. Um, yeah. No. So I needed a form of training. Um, I was looking around 
Um, and the thing that was really pissing me off was this sense that I would never be able to build a competence in something. I would never be able to be a practitioner of some discipline. Yeah. Um, you know, I wanted the training to be an identity, not just, oh, I don't know, I run with my baby in the stroller from time to time, or I do YouTube follow-alongs from time to time. Yeah. I really wanted to have a coherent um, training practice. And I was on YouTube and I saw uh, an Iron Wolf video. Um, and I mean, Iron Wolf will always be my my number one fitness hero because of the impact he made on me in that time. I yeah, yeah. You know, and there are hundreds of thousands of people who have had the same reaction. I couldn't say what it was, but just seeing him doing an hour of, he, he was doing Navy Seals and one pump, two pump, three pump, four pump, five pump. Um, and it, I just I had no idea what he was doing. And I just watched it. I watched the whole video and instantly tried out an Navy SEAL for myself. And just this idea took root and I couldn't shake it. I was thinking about it that night, four o'clock in the morning, my daughter's awake. Just, I want to do what he did. I want to just do burpees forever. And also, I mean, I, I didn't know what a burpee was back then. I'd not seen these variations. Yeah. Um, and so very quickly, um, I, I found an opportunity to try it out. Um, and I tried for one rep every one Navy SEAL every 15 seconds for 20 minutes was my idea. I thought I'll be easy. I uh, made it through about four minutes. Couldn't keep up. I uh, dropped down to three, dropped down to two. Um, and I think, I can't remember what I scraped in the course of that 20 minutes, but it was it was you know, maybe 45 reps or something. Um, next day, chest was killing me. Um, <laughs> and the lats were killing me. And weird parts of me were killing me. Yeah. The Navy SEALs came first. And I just, it was love. Sent it to a friend of mine who got equally enthusiastic. We, we bought merch and we're like, yeah, we're going to be Iron Wolf. Iron Wolf. <laughs> and like all I would talk about to anyone, my wife, my family, my daughter was Iron Wolf. Um, I was really obsessed um, and in awe. And the more I watched, the more he just blew me away with what he, what he stands for, what he manifests. Yeah. Um, it was a very, very big thing for me. Um, and there's a video I watched of him where he does, he says, um, right, I'm going to do this intermediate fitness check. This is something that in the Marines, if you can do this, it's considered, you're, you're considered to be decently fit. Yeah. yeah. But decent. I thought, okay, if I can be decently fit for a Marine, I'm going to do that. And what it was, was 301 pumps in 20 minutes, which he did with ease. Um, he barely broke a sweat. And I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to build up to that. And so, um, you know, I tried it. Um, I was, I, I barely hit 150. Um, but that idea of building up to 301 pumps crystallized in my mind. At the same time, I was thinking I want to get 100 Navy SEALs. And that 20-minute format was kind of structural for me. It was built in. Yeah. Uh, I had this background agreement with my wife that I'd only train for 80 minutes a week. Um, because it was, you know, your time becomes such a premium when you're, and you've got a, a baby in the house. Um, you have to, like, do bargaining just to, like, take a shower or something. We found so just... <laughs> Opening up 80 minutes was hard enough. And so yeah. I thought, okay, if I can get to 100 Navy SEALs in 20 minutes and 301 pumps in 20 minutes, then I'll be, then Iron Wolf would approve. Um, so that's how it started in its really? form. And then, you know, it, it became gradually more systematic um, as I realized I was just so far away from those goals. So I set yeah. immediate goals for myself. And eventually the one pump, I think this was around the, I can't remember when it was, but, you know, he, he talked about the difference between the six count and the one pump and the superiority of the six count in terms of counting out the reps. And that really spoke to me. I started counting out my Navy SEALs too. And so the, 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 the two base movements became, for me, became the Navy SEAL and the six count. Yeah. Um, and gradually I consolidated the, the level structure and, and then this name came to me, call it the Busy Dad Program. Right, right, right. So, so basically this, like, this comment by the Iron Wolf was ultimately which allowed you to distill this process and create the busy dad yes. training system, right? Okay, I never knew that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's, he's, he's the root of it all for me. Um, yeah, I knew he was the root in terms of inspiration, but then I, I was never aware that it was actually something that he'd said and it was a benchmark he had set, which right, yeah, I off a light bulb. Exactly. Because I was working within this 20-minute structure, to see him then say, okay, here's a good amount of one pumps to be able to do in 20 minutes. Yeah, and that immediately like fused some synapses, and I and I just got to thinking about structuring <laughs> my training around these twenty-minute goals. Yeah. So, like, was the busy dad training system for you? Was it like, did you you had this idea, 
And did you get to work with a piece of paper and write down a system, or was it something that evolved over time? Yeah, it was a little bit more organic than that. But um, I had these endpoints in mind from the beginning, which were 300 um, one pumps and 100 Navy SEALs. Um, and that evolved, um, I think I think the way it evolved was um, a, a really fit friend of my brother's tried out Navy SEALs and just casually did 120 in 20 minutes. And I thought, right, well, 100 is not, not good enough. And the numbers gradually evolved. Um, and the benchmarks were kind of clear to me. I would set them for myself, but it was all in my head. Um, and then it was uh, it was trying to convince other people to try out burpee training that I would set them targets. And I'd say, you know, you're about kind of, you're like level one, you're like level two. And, and that way of talking gradually evolved. Um, you know, and the whole thing had, had a slightly tongue in cheek feel to it as well. It's like um, Silly Max creating this training system called the Bithy Dad program. The whole thing was, had a kind of affectionate overtone to it. Um, and then it, it just suddenly occurred to me, actually this structure that you've got here is one that you can really make, you can really offer to people. Because yeah. the few people I'd introduced it to were really enjoying it and texting me to let me know how many they'd done. Um, yeah. So then I thought I can share this. All right, so how many levels are there in the busy dad training system? Yeah, so there are um, four levels. Level one, level two, level three, level four. Right. Um, and then there is graduation, which right. is... So how many, I know there's like, there's one A, one B, how many, is, is it the same through all the numbers? Is it like one A, B, C, D, two A, B, C, D? No, the, the structure of the program right now, um, and this is something I'm still, the program is in some ways still open to evolution. Yeah. So about with my followers is whether I will introduce sub-levels at the higher levels. But right now, there are four sub-levels within level one. Level 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D. And then you have level two, level three, level four graduation is the highest yeah. you can reach in the program. Um, and the reason I created the sub-levels was, you know, you unlock level two with 200 six counts in 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And um, what I was forgetting when I first started showing the program with people is if you're completely new to burpee training or new to training in general, 200 six counts in 20 minutes might be two years away. <laughs> uh, and so I need to give you some way stations on your on your path to that. And yeah. from the start, I've been comparing this with the belt system in martial arts. And, and, you know, a friend of mine told me, look, when you have a white belt, there are some martial arts, but they'll also put like little stripes on the white belt to indicate your progression towards the next white belt, because they're towards the next belt, because there's a massive difference between yeah. a complete newcomer and someone who's been training for nine months and is ready to test for their first belt. But they're both white belts, so you need a way of differentiating. And the, and yeah. the martial arts system does this with the stripes on the belt. They, they won't then put stripes on the higher belts, but just for yeah. that entry level, you want to express that difference. Yeah, yeah. So like, ultimately, it gives people wiggle room as opposed to just giving them these daunting exactly milestones which are so far off exactly but what i'm finding what people are telling me is that so to go from level one to level two you might have to go from one rep to 200 to go from level two to level three you've got to go from 200 to 250 and a lot of people are saying that that jump is also quite daunting and so to have 225 in the middle as a way station to work towards we might introduce 2a 2b uh, we might. I'm still. I'm still thinking it over. I kind of like the simplicity of the program as it stands. Yeah. But I'm thinking you, you've got to like, in, in my opinion, you need to strike that balance because I feel like some guys who write programs they become too dogmatic and they refuse to take any feedback. It's their program. It's they know better than anyone. It's not to be tinkered with. Whereas you've got that approach where you listen to the commenters and you think, right, I can make a tweak here and there. But at the same time, you don't want to make so many tweaks that it starts to become a bit of a stramash, as we say in Scotland. Right. What's the word? A stramash. Stramash. What a brilliant word. Yeah, I don't want it to be a stramash. <laughs> yeah, so, so like, let's talk about the busy dad system in, in terms of its simplicity and the fact that you have... You you you've narrowed it down to two moves, okay. But do you feel there is scope for other movements to become part of the busy dad training system, or do you feel that it will lose its its like unique nature? Yeah. Or... yeah. Well, um, the answer is there are other movements that are part of the busy dad program. 
but they're accessory movements. Yeah. Um, so just as in powerlifting, you'll have a firm distinction between the three main lifts and all of the accessory work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing. We've got um, we've got our two sacred movements, the six count and the Navy SEAL, and that's the only two. That's never going to change. Um, busy dad training will always revolve around those two two exercises. Until the day I die, I will be a six count practitioner and a Navy SEAL practitioner. That's me. And that's the busy dad program. If you want in, that's the buy-in. We have... Um, accessory movements that we program to help us with those two sacred movements. But I really think that um, that's the identity of the program. We are we are myopically focused on these two movements and everything we do, if we're not doing those two movements, we're doing things that will strengthen a specific um, subpart of the movement. Yeah. So what are the accessory movements? Okay, so the, the, the principle for introducing accessory movements, because it's not random, is to decompose each movement into its parts. Right, okay, yeah. So, so if you think about it, every burpee, there's a part where you're squatting down and a part where you're squatting up. And so we have squats because they crystallize those two elements of the movement. Every yeah. burpee that we do in the Busy Dad program has a push-up. So we, we, we put the push-up in. Every burpee has, there's a part of the movement where you squat down, jump out, a part of the movement where you jump back in the stand. So we have four yeah. counts in the movement. Um, Navy SEALs have mountain climber elements, but we have mountain climbers. Um, so all of the accessory movements are designed to strengthen specific elements of the Navy, of, of the two sacred movements. We also have um, more demanding Navy SEAL variations, like yeah. and as a result of you, seven pumps. Um, they're also accessory movements because they, you know, you spend longer in the in the uh, Navy SEAL, and, and it's yeah. so that I found that that definitely has you know, my, my my pecs quivering just thinking about Navy SEALs. <laughs> um, <laughs> That has a payoff as well. Um, but, you know, people say to me, you know, lunges are great. Of course they are. Eight-count bodybuilders are great. Of course they are. Why don't you introduce them in the Busy Dad program? Answer, because they don't directly train specific elements of our two sacred movements. Yeah. As, as we start being more liberal about what movements we introduce, we've lost that focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is there, is there any Bob Fee variations that you would never include in the Busy Dad just purely because you don't think they're effective? Um, the only one is is the traditional is the CrossFit burpee. Um, yeah, putting a jump on the burpee I'm not against, but that method that you know is much more is much less strict about the the push part of the getting the chest to the ground. Uh, I have no I have no real time for that movement. I think it's um I don't think it's going to be particularly beneficial for the busy depth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, what's your least favorite burpee variation? My least favorite. Yeah. Mm, same as my favorite, which would be the six count. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so that's your least favourite? It's my least favourite and therefore my favourite. Oh, right, so least favourite in what sense? It's the hardest. Right, okay. So what's your least favourite in the sense where you just don't like it? You think, I'm not doing this, it's just, it doesn't make sense to me. Interesting. You know, um, the eight-count bodybuilder I liked, but um, I don't know, that, that movement doesn't feel very natural to me. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I injured, yeah, I injured my toe from the jump out. Um, that pissed me off. That put me out of training for a while. This was very early when I was just learning burpee variations. Yeah, um, but I mean, look, they swear by it in the Navy SEALs. Um, they swear by it in the in the Marines, and so I'm sure if you wanted to program that movement and build your training around it, you'd get great yeah. results. So um, why don't you include like multi pump? style burpees in the busy dad training program like say like a five pump yes i think that let me explain the rationale for the the two movements so um the six count burpee is a is an all-body workout um but it's particularly intense on the lower body and the core because um you're never doing more than one push-up for every burpee um there's never an opportunity to rest uh, the legs, whereas I find, you know, Navy SEALs, they're not that hard on the legs. They're really yeah. um, so six counts for me are the optimal way of training the whole body and training legs within the context of, of a burpee movement. And they're yeah. also the ones that will drive cardio gains. My resting heart rate is lower than 45 right now. It was never even, I mean, it was like in the 70s I was powerlifting. And I think that that primarily comes from six counts. So the six counts, they cover our base with... Um, overall fitness and leg strength and they'll definitely hit the upper body but the navy seals um 
there's a strange magic in that movement for the upper body. When I when I was getting those physique gains I was talking about and looking in the mirror and being like, wow, I was doing pretty much only Navy SEALs. The six counts came later. Yeah. And so for me, there's something about not just doing push-ups, but the way you have to round your back slightly at the top as you bring your, your knee in. Um, there's something about what it does to the core. There's something about what it does for the um, the rear delts and the traps, even the lats, that I think makes the Navy SEAL by far the best upper body movement, um, actually of any upper body movement in the world, but certainly of any burpee variation. And yeah. so as far as I can tell, that makes five cap, five pumps, for example, just redundant. Mm. I do not think you can get as good an upper body stimulus from five pumps as you get from Navy SEALs. You're yeah. not, not going to get the same cardio or leg gains from five pumps as you get from six counts. So what would be the point? See, like I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you in some respects, but I'm, I'm also inclined to disagree with you. And the reason being that I like I'm a firm believer in the Navy SEALs inducing like a degree of growth because you've got that lockout movement which puts excruciating pain on the, the, the shoulders and pectoral muscles. But at the same time, I think that I'm starting to swing around to this idea like that when you're doing if you're trying to build muscle you should do the higher pump style burpees and not try to go for a lockout on them because you want to be flooding the muscles with blood. Interesting. Constant tension on them throughout. Mm. So I, I do think the multi-pumps are valid in that respect. Yeah. I mean, if it's a burpee, I, I love it. But I, I, I think, um, I do think that you know, first of all, you have the higher pump Navy SEALs, the things that you can do within the busy dev program if you're really anxious about muscle building. I also think that, um, you know, just locking out doesn't entail that you release tension in the movement. Like, for example, yeah. pull-ups, right? There's a difference between a dead hang pull-up and a pull-up that goes to full depth but doesn't release tension. Yeah. Um, so I don't feel like I'm losing tension in the Navy SEAL at any point. Yeah. Um, and just, I guess, speaking from experience, the way it evolved organically, it was yeah. the Navy SEALs that had these had, had me seeing like striped lines of muscles stripped across my chest. Like variations. Yeah. 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 I've actually started to come out of the idea as well. Like I seen a comment on some guy's video. I don't remember what it was, but it was it was quite profound. I thought that's actually a really good point. And it was the guy was saying, like, after a certain point, it's not a buppy anymore, it's just push-ups where you're standing up. And I had people argue with me and my comments, but I was quite dogmatic at that point because I felt they were attacking rugby's and but now I've started to come around to the idea I'm thinking like maybe above say a four or five pump is it a buppy anymore at that yeah, point yeah or are you just doing doing lots of push-ups and then standing up again yeah 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 a buppy is like something that should be taxing the heart these higher pumps don't tax the heart in the same way where you're repeatedly standing up and going down yeah, yeah okay coming to that so right so what's next for the busy dad i mean because your channels took off max so where are we going with this what's, what's your plans for the future yeah um well in some ways um i don't want to change too many things i'll continue to share my journey with the busy dad program i'll continue to be the kind of spokesperson for the program i'll continue putting out videos trying to educate people about how the program works and why it, why it works um so the content in that sense won't change, but there are some really exciting things on the horizon. Um, first of all, I, I spoke to you about the level system, how I've always compared it to the belt system in martial arts. Um, and what I'm hoping to introduce soon is, um, instead of, it's Busy Dad t-shirts. And what I wanna do is color code the t-shirts to the level systems <laughs> so that there'll be a white t-shirt yeah. for level one. Yeah. And, and, and then there'll be, I think, maybe a blue T-shirt for level two, yeah, yeah. a purple T-shirt for level three, a brown T-shirt for level four, and the elusive black graduation T-shirt. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I'm going to put that out for people, uh, the Busy Dad T-shirt system. And my hope is that, you know, people will wear that T-shirt with pride because they'll earn it. When you when you move to a, up to a higher, higher level in the program, you, you buy yourself a t-shirt and that's a way of showing yourself in the world what you've achieved. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great idea, Max. I like that, I like that. It's very I'm working on that. Um, I'm working on a Busy Dad app right now that's going to help people right. their progress, um, you know, um, 
and kind of yeah monitor where they are in relation to the next training goal so that's going to be coming out i hope this year yeah um, so they're the two they're the two kind of big developments of course we have this book that we co-authored and i really hope that um that will continue to circulate i think that that really adds value and eventually there'll be a busy dad book as well yeah 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 now the foundations of the program um, more systematically okay well listen max it's been an absolute pleasure uh, picking your brain hopefully my dog hasn't annoyed you too much she seems to be very needy tonight but just before we finish max can you tell people where to find you on social media youtube and if they don't already know? yes um my channel on youtube is called busy dad training um if you type in busy dad to youtube i'm probably the first person you'll find um and if you subscribe to the youtube channel you'll get regular updates from me there's a playlist on there called busy dad faqs frequently asked questions that talks you through the principles of the program i also have a companion website busydadtraining.com uh, that takes you through how the program works tells you how to get started with it everything in there is available for free there's no catches um so please check out busy dad training on youtube and busydadtraining.com Brilliant point. Well, listen, Max, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking to you as it always is. I'll put those links in the description and hopefully we can have a chat again at some point. That would be uh, much appreciated. It's always a pleasure, Lee. Thank you so much. Right. Thank you very much, Max. Take it easy, buddy.